This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diane. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. (laughs) (laughs) How how are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, we are incidentally at the Hey On Why Festival. What? And um, today, Russell, I am feeling unapologetic. That's good. Yeah. That's a nice feeling. It's not only the title of a, a Rihanna album, which I love, yes. um, but it's also a word that I associate very closely with today's guest. Because today's guest is a living artwork. They are a living sculpture. And I know this might sound crazy, but it is a fact. And um, I feel like their mission in all of their art and in, in their life is to empower people to um, be themselves. And being yourself is something that a lot of people struggle with. And um, it's going to be a fascinating discussion today because today's guest has actually made clothes and outfits and artworks uh, for the likes of like Naomi Campbell, Boy George, Mariah Carey, uh, Nicki Minaj, like all kinds of superheroes of popular culture. They've regularly been in like British Vogue and all kinds of amazing magazines and um, even had a kind of complete retrospective of their different um, sculptures. And I I think there's like more than 50 now of these um, kind of, they're almost like an army of today's guest. And um, we'll explore that very soon. And that was in Coventry, which is their hometown. That's right. So we've been meaning to talk to today's guests for many years. A long, long time. And we're so proud this moment's finally happening. Yes. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art at Hey On Why Festival, Daniel Lismore. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Welcome. How, how is that chair? Is that okay for you? It's wonderful. <laughs> so you've we, come quite casual today. Yeah, day, so day wear. You've not made that much of an effort. <laughs> this is just day wear for me. No one believes it, but... <laughs> I've heard you actually say before, it's like, this is your jeans and T-shirt. My jeans and T-shirt. It's what you're all wearing. It's my version. And we had a bit of a backstage drama as well, because your necklace which is the beautiful uh, yellow perspex here, gold perspex. Uh, you'd forgotten it backstage. I did, and then I had to put it back on, which is a, a situation. <laughs> this is incredible. So, Daniel, let's, let's go back to the start. As we said, you're from Coventry originally. You grew up there. How did you find art? How did you find fashion? How did you find culture in Coventry? So I grew up in a small village called Falongli, in just outside Coventry. And my parents were antiques dealers, and my dad would bring all these stunning things home. And as a kid, I would run around the house listening to Kylie Minogue and just kind of looking at all the details, all the paintings, all the, the textiles, the, and obviously it stuck. Um, <laughs> so as a, as a small kid, that's how I, um, I just wondered about these things and how they were made. And all these, you know, my house was like a... It's like an old museum. It's a 400-year-old home. Um, my dad rebuilt from scratch a Tudor place, and it was it was just amazing. Anyway, so as you're a you know a British person, you go to school, you look at the kings and queens yeah. in the textbooks, and I always wondered why we don't look like that. So that was a <laughs> I think things started then. 
Like, like the Tudors? Like, like the Tudors. Like um, all the Ruffs and the Henry VIII? And... Mm-hmm. Um, I was obsessed with Queen Elizabeth and King Henry VIII. It, only visually, not what they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what, so what sort of antiques were, was he specialist in? What were the things that he was actually bringing home, the objects? I mean, he brought a car home one day, which was amazing, like this old um, vintage, I think it was a Bentley or a Rolls-Royce, I'm not sure. And he would have these, like, paintings of King Louis on these plates. And I remember my brother used to break all the antiques in the house, and he would blame it on the fairies. Um, <laughs> I'd watch him do it, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was the fairies. Um, yeah. But you were allowed to, like, touch with them, like, interact with them? Well, I think my brother did more. He would, he, there was a painting of Jesus on the wall. It was an old oil painting, really old and he thought it needed holes in its hands and feet, you know, so. <laughs> so he literally like... No way! Yeah, yeah. I, it gave me ideas. And was your dad angry about that, or did he find that kind of... Uh, right. they, they were quite cool with us, like, you know, I think um, the worst was when he, the grandfather clock fell over, and that's when he, uh, my dad and mum... Stopped bringing crazy. antiques home. Yeah. <laughs> right. So how did, that, how did that transpire then, from this sort of interaction with oldie-worldie things and objects into thinking this is something that could work for you in your life or you could bring them into your orbit? I think collecting memorabilia from like Star Trek and things like that. Growing up, I was bullied really badly and I went to um, a Catholic school and I was, I was a bit obsessed with the priest and how he wore a dress. <laughs> um, or I thought he wore a dress. And I wanted to be an altar boy and I... Oh, I think a lot of things are really explained when I was young. Like I was obsessed with going to the funerals because I was, you know, I would kind of, do you know, the incense, I would do that and do all the, you know, the altar boy stuff. And I would listen to the stories of someone's whole life, like from beginning to end. Yeah. And that's what really fascinated me. So everyone thought I was a bit morbid, but I, was, I just wanted to know about literally everything someone had, had done. Um, so, yeah, there was that, and then... Uh, did that then feel like... Does this feel like your whole life, what you're wearing in some ways? Yeah, so what I, what I do is I collect things, and I was a Star Trek fan. Um, I would play in my bedroom with all the toys, and I would go down to the brook in the, um, like, a, you know, a muddy clay brook, and I would pick up the clay, and I would create the, the toys that I didn't have. So I was really sculpting at a young age. Wow. Um, but I never really thought about that until I found all these photographs of everything. And then collecting. So uh, my mum sent a fax to Patrick Stewart. And, uh, uh, yeah, I was a huge Trekkie. And I went to the Star Trek convention, and he, my mum said in the fax that I was, I was struggling, having a really hard time at school. And What age was this? This was like 13, I think. Right, right. 12, 13. Right, right. And maybe younger. And he stood up and he said my name off stage. And I remember looking at him go, and I was terrified. I had no confidence. And I wouldn't stand up. And my sister was like, he's talking about you. And I'm like, oh, no, he's not. He's not. So eventually I stood up and asked him how long it took to put his Borg makeup on. Um, and then after the show, he came around the back and he saw me. And he parted away. There was a big blue lady in front of me and a security guard. And she was trying to get, get to him. And she pushed us out of the way, and he, moved, he parted them, and he came over and he shook my hand, and he said, um, your mother told me all about you. And it, it was more or less a mes- message saying, you can do anything you want to do in life. Wow. And it was a, a really, like, it changed my whole life. Because yeah. at, to this point, growing up in the UK, with not allowed to talk about identity whatsoever, you know, my school teachers knew I was being bullied. Like, they would, there was one teacher that would l- allow me to go to the art classroom and another one that kind of frowned on me every time I went there. So I was, it, it, was, it wasn't very nice. So when he said that, I thought, wow, someone, someone sees me. Sees you. You know? And then um, years later, I'm sorry to name drop, but Stephen Fry, I told him this story, and we'd, we'd gone to a pantomime. And he said, yes, you can be anyone you want to be in life, but as long as you work hard enough for it. And I was like, yeah. So um, I guess that really inspired me to start dreaming and um, visualizing things. Well, dr- dreaming is a big thing. I- I'd love to talk about lucid dreaming because you- you've mentioned that and actually y- you said that you're someone that will wake up in the middle of the night with inspiration and ideas and write them down. Yeah. 
So when I was studying art, um, I would be in the classroom and I would look up, I was obsessed with Dali and Warhol. Like Warhol's idea of celebrity, the celebrity world, that back then there was like MTV and we saw all these pop stars. You, you were talking about it on your, one of your shows, um, how we're all inspired by album covers and artwork. But the, where was I? Um, Warhol. Oh, Warhol. Oh, so, so Dali, um, I, I read that he... I never really read many books, but um, I remember book festival saying that. <laughs> well, to, 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 today you've read loads, haven't you? You've read loads read today. Yeah, and you exactly. wrote one, so yeah, 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 yeah. it's all it's good. Fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, it works out. So, I, I read how he would sit in a chair and fall asleep and he'd drop his keys and wake up and he would um, start them painting the ideas he had. So I tried to practice that for years. And I eventually got the hang of it, and I've still got all the notebooks, and I, I would go to sleep, especially when I'm not tired. I'd put the, um, the pad on my chest, a pen in my hand with a, a hairband or elastic band or something. It's a bit dangerous if you <laughs> fall asleep too long. Um, and then I would have that, you know, just before you go to sleep, there's a, a moment where you start, is this real, is it not, is it part of the dream? And then... Weirdly, I dream about fashion. Um, and sometimes I hate fashion, sometimes I love it. But I dream about fashion and visuals and these interesting characters. So I was asked to do The Mask of Orpheus for the English National Opera. And we spent two years writing down, like rewriting how it would be performed on stage with uh, Daniel Kramer from the ENO. And they said, do you have any ideas? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't have any that, and I hate using mood boards. I call them stealing boards. And it's, I, I find it really difficult to like, give someone a mood board and say, let's create, because I just feel like I'm stealing everyone's idea. And it really annoys me. So um, <laughs> I, went to, I said, I'm gonna, I need to go to sleep to, um, to, to come up with my ideas. And they all looked at me going, what? <laughs> uh, so, but there and then, you're like, let me have a nap quickly. No, I said, I need, to, I need to go home and I need to sleep. So right. I was lis wow. listening to the Harrison Burt whistle Mask of Orpheus, which is haunting. Like, it's three hours of haunting, crazy music with no synth. And I started to dream about these, um, these silhouettes. And it, I guess it was whatever happened in my head. And I, I, what I do is look at the piece of paper, I draw a tiny, like, squiggle, and, I, and then I remember what that squiggle is, and I compare that squiggle to the idea I have in my head. And you have to go back to sleep, otherwise you don't remember it. And I, you wake up, and then when you've woken up, you look at the squiggle, and immediately you have to draw the, the um, image that you've seen in your head. And if you take too long, it disappears. And then once you do that, you have to repeat, 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 like remembering what that visual was. And then you can show it to your team, and then it, they've was never. Was it a success? Did it was it a success. The the opera was a success. Um, Swarovski gave me four hundred and fifty thousand crystals, and I hand placed them. And I, they they were kind of. It was based like on a bad bad nightmare, and I went to Harrison Burtwistle. He came to the um, one of the uh, moments of, and I was terrified. It was my turn to stand up, and I, I had no confidence, and and I pulled him aside, and I said, Harrison. I've, I dreamt all the ideas, and I'm really sorry. And he said, what do you mean? He said, that's it. You've got it. And he said, if you've dreamt them, you've got the play. He said, no one else in there has got it. I shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't say that. But, um, <laughs> and and uh, he, he was so happy. And he asked me, obviously, he passed away. But he asked me, he said, I would love to work with you again. And I, it was such an honor to do that. And um, I remember bringing... Um, I think Ruby Wax, who we just saw, um, and Luke Evans and Vivian Westwood and Paloma Faith and a few other people. And I remember um, sitting with Vivian, and I worked with her for 13 years on and off, like in activism. And it was the first thing she'd ever seen um, of anything that artworks that I've done, apart from one situation, which I'll tell you about in a second. And she said, um, and I had to compromise on the suits because the budget had to be, you know, put somewhere else. And I said, what do you think? She said, I hate it. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I said, what, tell me what do you hate. She said, the suiting. It's awful. And, it's, and I'm like, it is. And that's why they made me compromise. And she looked at me in the eyes like a teacher. And she, and she was like a, a teacher to me. She was like, never let them make you compromise. And, and 
And I was like, thank you for telling me that. I said, could you please tell them that? And she told them. Um, so, <laughs> but um, she, she was like a bit of a mentor to me. Um, and I worked with her on a climate revolution campaigns. And we worked on um, anti-fracking, climate change, oceans. Um, we worked with a charity called Cool Earth. And I remember going to pick her up. We were throwing a party. And we were paid for how many guests came in. And that money then would go and save the rainforest. And I remember doing these portraits with a photographer called Simon Harris and they're the only studio shots of me apart from what's in my book and I, sh I remember saying Vivian I've got these pictures um, it's going to be an art exhibition and she looked at it and she said that's not art and I'm like oh my god <laughs> like and I cancelled the show I actually cancelled no the show. but um, no one's seen the pictures either but then just before she passed away we had a we illegally buried a friend in Kew Gardens well not buried but um, scattered her ashes and, um, <laughs> uh, true crime <laughs> that's my next book. Um, so, I think that's quite romantic in a weird way yeah. and, and she actually apologized to me and she said I'm sorry Daniel that was art and I was just like whoa that was like I'm like, okay, I need to do that show now. But, um, so that's a show that you can now bring out? I can bring out, yeah. But, um, but you really needed her permission. You really felt I, like she was someone that yeah. was like a barometer I for mean, your... I she, she mean, she knew everything. Like, for, for me, she was... When she passed away, it was like my... Literally, my barometer had gone. And I was like, I'm so lost. I don't know what to do. Like, what campaigns I should work on. What, you know, where to go next. And it's... I'm, I'm starting to find my feet now. And I really believe as well, when people pass away, you can still summon them somehow. Like, they're still with you and their wisdom you know, you can probably find it within you now. And she obviously had such a belief in you. And I was really interested in this connection you had with her over the climate as well. Yeah. And um, uh, your whole kind of ethos uh, in the way that you make art and, you know, the, the clothes that, that you create uh, is, is a kind of sustainable ethos. And you were thinking about that kind of like 20 years ago. Yeah, my mum my told me, she was like, what's everyone talking about the sustainability for? You've been doing that forever. You, you know, you've been doing that since you were a kid. And and then when we started to talk about it, um, everyone laughed at us. And they were like, you know, we were talking about sustainable fashion, which is, you know, what everyone plans to, you know, put in their business plan now. But everyone literally just laughed at us, and it was a bit of a, um, yeah. So to explain a bit about the passion you have for sustainability, can we talk a bit about the way that you reuse things? Because yeah. I've heard that even if, if you have like a watch, say, that broke, mm -hmm. most people would be really gutted and they'd take it down the watch shop, but you're like, yes, it's broken! Um, I am, <laughs> and that's what this outfit's about. Um, in lockdown, I, I got 20 years of broken jewellery out of the shed, and I'd just been throwing it into boxes and um, thinking one day I'll do something with it. And all these pieces of fabric are from um, Premier Vision when the, all the big fabric houses send the fashion labels samples. And I thought I'd keep them, see if I can do something with them one day. And finally, How did you find them? How did you get hold of them then? Um, so when I had the, fa I had a fashion label called Sauropol and we would go around looking for, like, we made couture for all these celebrities and ladies of leisure and... Um, we really kind of delved into the, the world of haute couture and it opened up to us. So I liked the offcuts and like the rubbish that was left and I kept it all. And everyone was like, you're a hoarder. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do, like every hoarder, um, I'm going to do something <laughs> with it one day. And, uh, and, and lockdown was the perfect time. So it was almost like I was making tapestries of my life of broken moments um, and trying to like figure out what was actually happening you know like we didn't know what was mm. we didn't know I, I, so I sat in my mum's garden um, in Coventry throughout for, for two years and I, I dressed up quite a lot and I think it entertained my mum and my brother and um, and just sat there like doing uh, do you know Stuart Semple he does the amazing paints and yeah um, so I did like life drawing classes with him and I used who is to, he for people who don't know so he's an amazing paint um, he's a curator an art curator he has a gallery in Bournemouth it's called Giant Gallery and I just showed there so we made this connection and I got his paints and started using them in different ways adding all these ideas of and broken stories into like tapestries I did loads of them and I never showed them to anyone and then I did a show at his gallery that just closed and it's such a great gallery he does really cool shows there and I put my whole studio on display. And I first did it in Coventry. I had an exhibition um, for the City of Culture. 
and then I thought, I'm going to take... Do you know when you move house, you put things in a box and you never see them again? Um, and then, so I thought, I'm going to go and find those boxes and put them all, everything out on display. And I've been collecting art for years. I've been collect, working with so many different people over 21 years of doing this that I have this crazy collection of stories and ideas and things from Boy George and Adamant and Vivian and... Um, I, and Bjork's forehead, you know, like, and I, I put them all out on display so people could actually go into my, into my world. And into your head. Into my head. Literally. And also, if you think about that as a workshop, say, um, I've seen a video um, online of you where, where you're taking the, the person filming through all of these curiosities, and that's such an amazing word, curiosities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are literally something like more than 7,000 that they, you've counted so far? Yeah, I mean, that's in my collection of sculptures. So living a sculpture, I know I talk about sustainability, but people throw things to me and I'm like, what can I do with it? I sometimes give really nice things away and, or I can use like, I can make workshops with all these things that I have. But anything that's special, I've kept and turned, everything that I've worn over, over the years of living a sculpture has then turned into an artwork in itself. And this, um, it happened... At a moment, of the worst part of my life, actually, um, I, I was making haute couture for all these amazing people, and we did our first show in Paris, and we threw a big party. Um, Vogue did us a party. There were 12 Vogue, Vogue editors. All the supermodels came. And within the next two weeks, um, me and my business partner fell out, and there was a situation, and all of a sudden, I was living in a seven, from a seven-story building in Knightsbridge to... Um, at this point, I'd done an H&M campaign for st- sustainability. It was their first campaign they'd ever done. First, any high street store, even though I don't agree with things that happened later on with them. But um, they showed, it was called Close the Loop, so it was about recycling. Anyway, my face was in um, Times Square in Russia, which is why I said yes, because I'm illegal there. And um, so my face was everywhere. And... All of a sudden, I was homeless, and I had all this stuff in storage in Coventry. I didn't tell anybody. I was really ashamed. I didn't know what to do, where to turn. Um, And I was, this is a trigger warning, I wasn't feeling like living anymore. And I'd gone, just so I happened to go to the House of Lords um, with uh, Vivian Westwood and Pamela Anderson and and Joe Corey. Yeah. (laughs) For a cooler. And, and so um, Joe Corey, who's the son of Vivian, well, um, Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren, so he's like more or less the, the son of punk, he said, come back to mine, we'll have a drink, have a catch-up. And I told him about the business stuff before, that it was all going down the drain. And we were drinking, and I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go tonight. I didn't say this. He was like, mate, where are you living? And I'm like, oh, do I, do I even say anything? Because I'm going to spend the night in Hyde Park otherwise. And I, that was got to that point. That was my idea. And so I couldn't tell anyone. I had a suitcase of like contemporary things at a friend's house, but my friend wouldn't let me stay. And I have all these amazing friends. And I was either scared or I'd asked them and they said no, which... Or was um, you embarrassed as well, I guess? I was embarrassed as yeah, well. There yeah. was so many... When, when you're in a situation like that, especially, you know, I didn't want to say anything. And I told him and he said, there's a room in there, go and stay in it. And I stayed there for like nearly six years. But <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he went away for the weekend um, just after I'd moved in. And I was... And this is another trigger. I was genuinely going to jump off the balcony. And... I know it's not a nice thing to hear, but I was at that point, and I just didn't see any future. And then I kept sitting down. I called my mum. I said, you're not going to hear from me for three days. And then I kept thinking, I can't do that to my mum. Why three days? I thought I needed three days with no electricity, no phone, no internet, no nothing, just to be on my own. And I was in a castle in the sky with gold glitter floors, and and I was like, "I I, I need to get out of this. So I put eight pieces of paper down on the table and I had three ideas and I thought I was so pathetic. One was perfume. I'd been studying perfume for so many years. Um, one was like an art show of something, but I didn't, wasn't very good. And uh, the other one was I, I had all this stuff in storage and it was about to be thrown out on the street. And I kept thinking, what is it that you do? What, what do you do that is good like how does it help others how does it help yourself how what is the best way of you living from now on um 
And I, I kept really going deep, and it was like, I live as sculpture, I wear a lot of armor, I need to create an army. And that, <laughs> that was like my solution, to create an army. And so I got this piece of paper, and I started, and then the other pieces of blank paper became this idea of the exhibition. And then the exhibition became like, I got everything down to a T, literally like to lighting, to how things were gonna stand, how tall the plinths were, <laughs> everything. And then I, I was thinking, no one's gonna take this. This is like, it's so crazy. Like, who the hell is gonna take it? And I, I went to a, a Westwood party three days later, and it was um, at Melissa Shoe's kind of collaboration thing. And um, my friend, who happened to be a curator for Vivian, he did all her V&A stuff, he, he said, oh, I'm going to the Savannah College of Art and Design to be a curator. And I was like, oh, um, what, what doing? He's like, fashion exhibitions. And I was like, oh, I have an idea. Um, I've got this idea. I really, like, I've spent the last few days doing it. I've, it's serious. Like, I couldn't, I was trying to, like, make it so serious to him. And he was like, okay, I'll have a look. And I thought, huh, he's not going to. He's not going to look. I heard a really funny uh, anecdote about this, is that whenever you've been to parties previously, especially when people are drinking, mm -hmm. you often dream big dreams, and you kind of tell everyone your ambitions, and then it comes to nothing, nothing. like every single time. Yeah. But at this point in your life, when you actually had nothing, like you were almost living on the street, mm -hmm. suddenly you had your big break. Yeah, um, and a few days later, it was like three days or something, he emailed me back and he sent the idea to Paula Wallace, who is the president of Savannah College of Art and Design, mm. and her husband, Glenn, and they said, yes, we want to see what, what you've got. So I said, well, there's not much time. The, the storage is going to be, like, everything's going to be out on the street. So he came, and as an artist, you hear, no, it's too much. As a designer, you hear, no, it's too much, all the time. And he said yes to everything. And so... All of a sudden, I'd gone in, I told my mum what had happened, because I, I couldn't tell her, like, you know, I couldn't tell her how dark my life was going to, like, how, where it was going. I was, I was so embarrassed with myself, like, it was a really hard time. Anyway, so um, he came to Coventry, came to the storage. All of a sudden, everything was on in cardboard boxes going to Atlanta. And I was like, mum, it's happening. And she's like... How weird, like, it's happening. She said, I'm so sorry. All these years I've been telling you to throw all that stuff away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I went there. I built the show in two weeks. And I don't know how I did it, but they offered me lots of assistance, and it had to be right. So I asked them to put crystals and things on. Um, and I, I built this show, and there's actually a time lapse of me doing it. And I didn't sleep. I, I said I wanted to work at night because I, only, I can only work at night. Um, and I don't actually remember doing the show. Like, every time I work, I don't remember. It's kind of a weird... I get myself into such a like state. A yeah. yeah. And, and so the show was up. It opened. Um, it was successful. They said, do you want to do a book with Rizzoli? I said, yes. So Colin Douglas Gray did that. Which is here. It's available to buy. We're signing afterwards. You're signing your book. And as is as well, yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Hilary Alexander... They, they wouldn't let me write it, because I'm not a great writer... And so I went to Hilary Alexander's house, and she wrote the story. And then um, Stephen Fry, Debbie Harry, Boy George, um, Edward Enninfall, Stefano Pilati, and Matt Lucas, and someone else, um, kind of um, gave me quotes for and Vivian. Uh, they gave me quotes for um, the book. And all of a sudden, my life just changed. Like I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's so inspiring. And so after all these years of working for everyone else and getting no credit, and that's just what happens when you work in fashion and art and... Um, people just disregard you. you Why know, do like, you think that is? I don't know. I, I, I think people are selfish. Um, and for, for me, it's a hobby to help people. Like, you know when someone says, what's your hobby? People say football, whatever. I'm like, climate change, like activism. Like, we, I've got to help someone. Like, I've got to help the student get to the next place. It's, it makes me feel good. I, I want to see things. I want to see the world progress and be a better place. And, um, and as living sculpture, that's what I'm able to do. Mm. So um, the, the show travelled the world. It, well, it went to... It was the headline at the Reykjavik Arts Festival. And then um, Bjork and David Beckham turned up, which was really crazy. Yeah, um, of course um, they did. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, my, my manager, Oliver Luckett, kind of... Um, he's been like a mentor. He's an art collector. And I, I felt like part of his collection. And he's the only person in the world that has one of my works because I've always said no to selling my work. I've been offered hundreds of thousands of my sculptures. Why, why? 
because they're for, for me, I've had my life in them. They're for the, for the public. And I've always kept by this. And I've been to so many dinners where people are like, can we buy this? And I'm like, nope. Um, someone flew me to the US to ask to buy some work. And I was like, nope. Um, so my idea is to hopefully, hopefully somehow, um, get my old house back where I grew up. And it's big enough to put them in. And then wow. I've been inspired by Sir John Soane's museum and Einar, um, the Einar Jonsson Museum in Reykjavik. Um, those two artists, um, they left the house exactly how it was. And I would like to do that and just leave the house to whoever, whichever, whoever like your after museum. it. Like a museum. Just, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, I, it, I think it'd be really interesting. And Andrew Logan's done the same as well. That'd so. so cool. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. And when you did the the, the collaboration with SCAD, for me, when I heard about that, it was when I started to really understand what you were doing. And I I remember meeting you in about 2000 or 2001, that kind of time, in the club scene in London. Because I was in a band called Tempo Shark, which was part of the Electro Clash kind of scene back Mm -hmm. then. And you were always very shy. And I remember everyone saying, oh, Daniel's a model, Daniel's a model. Um, So for me, I kind of associated you with like that era. And then when I heard about SCAD and you doing that show, suddenly I could see all of your like outfits as I thought they were as art as sculptures and it wasn't a performance and I was so interested in that because I'd always thought of you I didn't know you as a friend or anything Mm. but I always thought of you as a performer but in fact you're not a performer no um the the last show I did was at the V&A and it was called Fashion in Motion and they said well there has to be so I said I could put my sculptures in but I'm not a performance artist and they, they said there has to be some kind of performance involved and I thought, I can't really dress people in them because they won't be able to... It's you know, really <laughs> strong to wear some of these things. And, and then I ended up standing as one of the sculptures. So it was like really my, a, a moment of being a performance. And I stood there for 20 minutes. My legs had locked. I wore a, a visage of my face, so I looked like all the other things. The only person that actually noticed that it was me was Gail Porter, and she was like, that's Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I stood there and uh, then gave a monologue and then took the face thing off, and then I, I was like myself again. Um, so that's the first time I've ever performed. But people think I'm a performance artist or a drag queen. You know, I wear makeup, but whatever. Um, men have been wearing makeup for, like thousands of years you know it's kind of more the Tudors yeah well all of like before that um so people go oh um if we clap our hands are you going to dance for us and I'm like definitely not um I I just did a Jared Leto video where um I turned up on stage and everyone else was dancing and voguing and whatever and I just said to Jared I'm just going to do this and just turn and it worked it was perfect so I'm kind of like, everyone says, you're a peacock, and I'm like, no, I'm more of an ostrich. You know, ostrich, they have these big plumes, and, you know, you can't miss them, and when they want to hide, they just duck their head into the ground, and that's kind of me, and that's how I think about it. And lots of people go, oh, it's all for attention, and whatever. Um, And it's kind of not, like, it's it's actually, it's like you can't see me. You can see my arms today and my my eyeballs, but that's about it. You Hmm. described it as armour. It's armour, and it's almost like if I sit here or wherever, the world performs for me. I don't have to do anything. 
and I see the weirdest things. Like people do the strangest things. They say really interesting things. And so for me, it's been like a a fascination of studying humanity. Like I don't have to do anything. You're the show. The audience is the show. Like I, I'm just sitting there or standing there. Yeah, you never need f- tickets to the cinema. No, no. your cinema is the world, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and you get quite extreme yeah. reactions. You get people that are very loving, positive, excited. Mm. They might do a dance for you. Yeah, but then you also get quite um, rude people—people people that don't agree with you, even though they have no idea who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was stabbed, which is quite a, a, a moment in my life, which changed yeah. it. Um, you know, while, while, you, while you're out and about, like yeah, someone became a bit obsessed with me, and it turned. It was actually watching your American Horror Story. Um, <laughs> um, I started to get therapy afterwards, um, and also the Jeffrey Dahmer situation. So, watching that, it really kind of triggered triggered things for me. Sorry. So it was a bit dark, um, but I, I kind of realised that there's so much more to life, and I, I always felt like I'm living on. Um, extra time, you know, like mm. I've already died and now I'm Mm-mm-mm. living. Um, and I, I just think, what's the point? And another point that, um, a moment that changed my life was living with the Maasai in Samburu in Kenya. And I did that when I was quite young. So I studied to be a photographer at college and I, I wanted to do some charity work and I was modeling at the time. And I thought my life is so ridiculous and so I'm so privileged um, I need to do something. So I went and I, I met a doctor there and he took me over. And um, I saw things that you should never see. No one, like things that no one should ever experience. And it just it just changed my life. And that's really what got me into activism. So, you know, dark times, good things can come from them. And that's what I want to say to people. Like, if you if you are going through a really terrible time, something good could happen. Um, but you've also got to kind of instigate it or try you've and got make, to manifest it. You've got to manifest yeah. it. Yeah. Young students come to me all the time. I work with Graduate Fashion Week, and they have thousands of students. And I'm like, stick with your vision. And I always remember Vivian saying, "Don't compromise." Like, it's there's, what's the point of compromising? Like, I mean, sometimes we have to. You know, yeah, and I under, I understand how privileged I am as well. Yeah, but it's not always the case. And I could walk into the room and someone could throw something at me or say the worst possible things, and I'll send them to prison now, which I've just done. Um, but you know, these these things happen, and it's people have really extreme views, and I think things are getting worse. Like especially for L- the LGBTQIA plus community. Agree. Um, my friends don't want to live. Imagine. Like, they don't want to live. Yeah. Just because of someone on Twitter's opinion. And imag- like, and then the, the rest of the day is, like, ruined. So as much as I am an activist and, and f- for climate change, for my own safety, sometimes I have to get in a car. And I don't want to. Um, I took the tube the other day, and I hadn't done that for a while. And it was a... I was like, this is... A, but I have to make the decision. Am I going to walk outside... And I'm, am I going to have a really awful day because of what someone's done to me? Or do I just turn up somewhere, have a good time, and go home? I mean, I don't know what you would do, but um, that's, that's what it's come to. And things are getting so polarized right now, and it's so ridiculous, and there's so much hatred towards people like me. And, all my, like, for example, trans people, the transphobia that's happening towards trans people is then kind of, because people are so stupid and ignorant, and that's all, all it really is, is that. Um, that goes then to drag queens and it goes to lesbians and they get thrown out of toilets like and and then it comes to me and then people don't book me and then companies like target will pull out this because and they're st- and it's getting worse like it's so cruel like people don't realize how cruel they are mm. and we just want to live you know I, i've been doing a lot with Derek jarman and Derek jarman said his quote is if you wait long enough the world moves in circles mm. and he wrote that at the end of the 80s yeah. and what he was an activist for what he was pushing against section 28 the way that the clause came into education to not promote homosexuality 30 years later the rhetoric towards trans people the way that the education is in america i mean america is you know it's going through yeah. hell with it but the way that it could easily slip back to that is terrifying and it is, it is a cyclical thing that, it, you know, I, I remember like during lockdown, we had drag race and it was the biggest thing ever. Yeah. 
Bimini Bombu Lash, yeah. not winning, <laughs> not winning, was like everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, wow, wow, wow. And then th- th- you can slowly feel this turning. And there was demonstrations at Tate Britain where there was like um, a drag queen story time. It was me that called all the police in. I was called it? it? Yeah, I did it. I didn't tell anybody. Um, I filmed <laughs> the Tate, but I told the Metropolitan and the City Police and they all turned up in a big army. But, but that's the rhetoric of America that's come to hear, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. I want to say. I hope that it's because, you know, people look to America. Yeah. And, and that happened, and it is terrifying, but does that make you feel more emboldened to be more present and more queer and more vocal? I, vocal, definitely. I'm, I'm not going to change for anyone else for any reason. I will do what I do how I am. Yeah. But vocally, I feel I have to. You know, I'm so privileged. I know everyone, like, from kings and queens to, like, the Harry Krishnas to everyone that you can possibly imagine, and um, I just... I, I try and do my best to talk to all kinds of people, like in, in power and in, like, pol- politicians are a nightmare. Don't trust them. Um, <laughs> trust the artists. You want to know trust the, the world, talk to the artists. I was just thinking, like, there needs to be, like, a, a, an artist group of politicians. I think they would do the best job. That's yeah, a yeah, really yeah. good idea. You know you were talking about armour earlier. Yeah. I've been so fascinated by that concept. And A, I heard that when you went to the House of Lords or the Houses of Parliament, I'm not sure which, you were the first person since, like, hundreds of years to wear chainmail, <laughs> yeah, which I, mean, I thought was brilliant, because yeah. isn't it outlawed or something? Yeah, so Oliver Cromwell is also... This is happening now, more or less. Like, he banned makeup, right? He banned children playing with, like, toys. He banned all kinds of things. But another thing that was banned... he was a Puritan. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and Puritan... Is, um, is coming back today um, but he also obviously they banned armour in parliament so I decided I looked at the dress code and I was like oh, okay I'm going to go in armour see what happens and they just let me walk through full on chain mail <laughs> love that so let, can we talk about this outfit in yes. particular can, yeah. we, can we break down the elements of this because it's incredible and, and some of these pieces because you have works in your collection or objects in your collection that are thousands of years old yeah. worth loads of money some things are worth nothing but they're treasure to you yeah. what, what, how did you bring all these works together and what, what are we looking at? I mean I work with colour, texture and shape and my body's a canvas so I, I mean I always think the best kind of canvas as an artist could, like, could be your body you know like you can do anything on it um, so I, I just went with colour, texture and shape and I, I kept thinking it's talk art and I'm like I just want to be wearing lots of art today so I'm wearing one of my favourite artists actually her name's Mary Brennan she's Damien Hurst's mum um, and she's a really good friend of mine and I adore her so she's in there um, this she thing, makes art Damien Hurst's mum makes art amazing art I animals she's a painter she has I've her, her studio yeah she's made, I'll introduce you, you wow. what, what's, her, what's her work like? It's, um, it's mainly animals and people, and she's got work in the Groucho Club as well. As you go up the stairs on the left, if you go... No way. Um, you'll see a picture of a young Damien as a teenager, and she, she did And that. actually, the phrase, no way, mm-hmm. is a Gilbert, oh, yeah, George, Gilbert George phrase. That's, that's their them. new badge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, this has um, gay blood on it, and um, um, Stuart Semple made um, paint with gay blood um, as a protest, because uh, and they just legalised it, so it's... Kind of a good thing, but um, you know, giving blood here was illegal if you were gay, and giving it was the same in America. So he made this blood paint as a campaign. So I, I wear a lot of that. Um, is that Andrew know. Logan there? There's it's an Andrew Logan. They're called Daniel Lismore's Lips by Andrew Logan. Um, it says "Love is Art," and I think I did that when I was a, a, in a troubled mind, like many years ago in my bedroom. Um, and then there is what else do I have on? Well, like, wait, wait, so the, 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 what we're looking at here, and do you mind if people touch you? Because people must want to touch you. It's a annoying. Lot. It's annoying. Yeah, I won't do that. But Stay away, <laughs> Russell. <laughs> Russell's <laughs> like reaching out. <laughs> like, let me, ah. no, you can if you want. You um, and then there's lots of just broken jewelry, and um, these are old fabrics, which I didn't. You know, in lockdown, I was running out of things, so I started to go through all my good stuff. But where do you find everything then? Where is your go-to? Like, what's the treasure place? Um, everywhere, the world. Street, the corner, like the things on the floor, like you know, I've got Bulgari, Bulgari jewelry on, and I have things that I've made, and like rubbit cheap stuff from China. Like, all right, so what's the oldest thing you're wearing, and what's the newest thing you're wearing? Um, the newest thing, I don't know, probably the Bulgari ring, and then um, the oldest thing, oh, um, it's not really that this outfit isn't very old. There's a piece that I got when I was a kid in Ireland, when um, so my. 
parents are Irish, and I spent a lot of time there, and I got it in one of the first museums I ever went to, and it was about dinosaurs and things. So I think it says December. <laughs> it's from a gift shop. So, but um, I don't... Oh, these are probably really old as well, um, these ta uh, tapestries. I'm not sure how old... And don't you have, like, a napkin somewhere? Yeah, like there's a, a napkin on my back. I yeah, I'll show you all. A blue napkin. If it, is Which it has there? an artwork on it, no? Like a, a drawing. Yeah, yeah so there's there, a Vivian yeah, yeah. Westwood napkin, like, yeah. there. Yeah, there. Um, and this, can I touch this one? Yeah. Can I hold that out? So there's a napkin oh. that um, I sat next to this guy in the Chilton Firehouse in London. It's where all the movers and shakers go, and you'll meet all kinds of people there. And he started drawing this thing, and I picked up his pen, and I didn't speak to him, and I drew something on it, seeing what he would do. And then we ended up drawing this picture together, and we never spoke. And it was really amazing. And then we, we bonded afterwards. But it was, it was a really nice way to make friends with someone. Um, and then I've got a Vivian Westwood climate change thing on my back. And I've got a fucko the clown. Excuse my language. I'm no, no. Um, um, which the taxi really artist driver did. Do you know him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who, uh, who? The taxi artist driver. He's yeah. very political. He gets newspapers, and he um, creates new work from them. So you can see Boris as yeah, a clown. Yeah, that's his... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, I know, but I've read about him. Oh. Um, so the other thing... <laughs> thank you. I, I am the learned one. Um, <laughs> the other thing I'm very aware of, sitting with you actually today, is the noise. Yeah. There's like a jangle, a kind of a, a rhythm to the way that when you move, there's so much noise. And the show you did in Coventry actually had the most extraordinary soundtrack yeah. by one of the Sugar Cubes, yeah. which was Björk's first ever band. Mm -hmm. And um, can you talk a bit about how sound plays a part in your life? Yeah, so I thought when the first two shows were very silent, and they wanted to put music to it. And I was like, play Elvis or like Marilyn Monroe or something like, <laughs> like camp. And um, I kept thinking about it. And I spoke to Einar Orn um, from the Sugar Cubes. And he's a really good friend. And I said, could we make something together? And he said, sure. So we went around the whole exhibition. And anything that makes noises, like and just whatever noise you could hear, he recorded. And he, he made like a soundscape, a 40-minute time loop of all the, how I sound when I walk. And when I, when I do walk, I hear it myself, you know? There's always a jingle, there's something, and it's, it's kind of like a therapeutic to me, I guess. And, and also, um, I think it's just as, I don't know if anyone can smell strong perfume at the minute, but um, I make perfume as well. And um, I think it's just, it's part of my art, you know? And, and these are all concepts, so I'm gonna bring out my perfume brand next year, so I'm gonna plug that. <laughs> But I think um, fragrance, there's a, there's a whole world there that which no one's really exploring in the art world. That's true. Um, Scent within the art yeah. world is a re real thing that isn't being, I know of, tapped into too much. Yeah, we have an exhibition in Margate at the moment curated by Rona McKenzie, and there's a young artist in that called Ezra Lloyd Jackson, and he's got his own perfumery uh, like line called Dea, D-E-Y-A, and he's got an artwork in the show which is actually a fragrance. Amazing. Yeah, and it's, you, people notice it before they've even got in his room Fab. because it obviously you know, spreads through the gallery, mm -hmm. and it's got me thinking a lot, just like the sound in your installation in Coventry got me thinking. It's like sound, um, smell, these kind of senses that we don't think of, and and I've always been quite curious as to, I think that shows how your mind works, because you're thinking about these things that aren't just the way you're being looked at. It's kind of about how you're experiencing, like walking Immer down the street you're an immersive each day. sculpture. Yeah. It's a moment. <laughs> um, but all my shows are centered. So if you go into each room, you'll always have a, you know, um, one of them was Joan Collins, Space and Poppers. Um, and then the, the next was like Blood and Guts in War. And then you'll have, um, you know, aliens in Egypt and all kinds of different concepts and I love playing with scent and um, a lot of my friends said I can either smell or taste you um, before I see you. Um, so, <laughs> Lovely. That's so funny. Yeah. Is the show anywhere at the moment? I know you've got an Instagram page which is at Daniel Lismore Exhibition. Yes. You can see it. Is it touring anywhere right now? Uh, it should be, yeah. And it's, I'm making it digital as well so it can go to libraries and schools and museums and all over. Excellent. Well, we're going to ask you our final questions and we're going to go to Q&As. Yeah. Um, so on Talk Art, we ask every guest the same questions. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, you could have any work of art in the world for yourself, and I'd like to say it as an object as well, okay. like a coveted object, what would that be and why? Can I have a curation, a stolen curation? Yeah, yeah I've never okay. had that before. <laughs> I've been thinking about I've been listening to your podcast. Their podcast is literally, I've spent three weeks, you've been in my ear for three weeks. So, um, so it would be the Einar Jonsson Museum, and I would have... The fresco fiasco situation, that painting, the late, the botched fresco. Have you seen Oh, yeah, with yeah. the face. Yeah, like oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the so, one that was in all the newspapers. Yeah. 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 Um, I'd have Salvador Mundi 
um, which is the Jesus which now is par- apparently on the king of Saudi Arabia's boat or something. It got yes, lost. Yes, in the middle of the sea. No one knows where yeah. it is. And then I'd have the ugly Duchess, and I'd have Pandemonia on a Salvador Dali phone um, answering calls. Um, is that the lobster phone? Yeah, yeah. And Pandemonia is like a blow-up living sculpture, a living cartoon. Wow. Oh, the latex one with yeah. the... Yeah. Yeah. And actually, Salvador Dali's protege mm. was someone that really inspired you, you know? Uh, Stephen Arnold. Stephen Arnold, yeah. yeah. So um, I, when I was studying photography, I found this book in the photographer's gallery on my first trip to London. And if you look at his work, his work was just stunning. Black and white photos. Um, and he would collage all these situations and like amazing people. Like the Coquettes, he worked with the Coquettes, who were a movement in the 70s of um, queer rights and the, the hippie mo- movement. Mm. Um, and between him and David LaChapelle, they kind of really churned my mind into living as sculpture. The thing that's interesting about both those photographers is, like, if you think of Arnold's work, it's these kind of queer deities, mm-hmm. and there's a kind of religious, kind of hyper-real, um, very romantic, over-the-top aesthetic. And I think David LaChapelle, later on in the 90s, yeah. really developed that through kind of pop culture and ended up photographing you, no? Yeah, yeah, it came full circle. Like, me looking at him studying photography, years later, we did, like, a... A photo shoot with it was like two months or three months with Pamela Anderson and Sergei Palloon in the ballet dancer and the Amazing. and the ballet, and uh, I ended up kind of art directing for him, which was like a full. And he was my lockdown friend as well. We called each other every day and oh. and um yeah. I'd, Russell wanted to know in lockdown what did you wear? Did you still dress every day like this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing. You just wake up and... Yeah, yeah. Because I've heard that your hair is really long as well. Yeah, it's past my bum. Like, it's longer than my arm, so... Wow. Yeah. I don't cut it anymore. It gets stuck on door handles. So. <laughs> <laughs> the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? So it's between pink, red and purple. And when those three colours start to mix with each other, that's where my mind is. Like, when I feel beauty, that's that, they're the colours that I kind of resonate with that's the color of your dreams they, yes pink red yeah, and purple the color of lucid dreams mm-hmm. what's the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art i think we've heard it already about don't compromise never compromise um but boy george um sat me down we were playing music one day in his house and he said uh, get over yourself and i was like oh my god i can't believe he said that <laughs> but he didn't mean it in that way he said he was almost like saying you've got it you're you why are you worrying and I and it re- that that was a moment. Get out of your own way. Yeah, get out of your own way. Wow, amazing. Well, we're going to open up the questions because we've got nine minutes. So if anyone out there's got any questions, please put your hand up, shout out. I have a question. Oh, you have um, a question. Tell us about your book. Daniel has a question. I want to know about your book. Like I want to know everything. Aww. Oh, uh, well, it's 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 twenty. How many interviews? Twenty-four. Twenty-four interviews, interviews out of the two hundred and fifty plus that we've done so far, and it is it just profound and moving and funny and eccentric and takes you on a journey and it's it's been incredibly exciting to do i love reading interviews you love reading interviews yeah and we edited them down because often our conversations are like an hour and a half and actually when you read them written it feels very different like i didn't even remember some i felt like i was discovering stuff reading them and i was like what and it includes people like elton john tracy emin um who's going to be at uh, hay festival later this week um and also somebody that's inspired you pierce brosnan Maybe. james bond because yeah, apparently he had crayons that you've now started using? Yeah, I started sketching. He said, buy these crayons, because I find it impossible to... I usually use Sharpies, and I went out into the wood and started using them, and they've, they've changed my life. Amazing. And you got that from Talk Piers Up. Brosnan. There Talk Up, thank and you. And the book's available in the bookshop after <laughs> Um Any questions? Yes, over here. Good evening. Um, thank you, first of all, for your warm and supportive comments for, for our community. Uh, my question is, your outfit um, today... Is this a moment in time and we would never see it again? Or is this something permanent that you, you take off and it might be sort of repeated again into the future? Um, I think some of the things I'll, I'll wear again. And if not, I think like the graveyard of all my work is actually my sculptures. Um, so they'll probably end up in a museum next if I don't wear it again. But I'm, they're a bit delicate to wear too much. But yeah. How do you, how do you if, if you're not ever selling the art, how do you fund your practice? Um, I'm lucky. I'm, sometimes people pay me to turn up. Um, 
<laughs> I didn't not, no, not today. You, That's not today. Not today. <laughs> you, you, made, you made all the clothes, for example, for Nicki yeah. Minaj yeah. for a whole music video. Yeah. So everything she was wearing, including this amazing crown and um, all of the outfits she was wearing, you you made. Yeah, she um, she sent a briefcase of money to the yeah, studio. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> um, but, um, I, so I do a lot of public speaking. I do some commissions. So I do do commissions, but um, ah. I did a tree at the Edition Hotel um, using all recycled fabric, all stuff that was the end of line from all these um, fashion houses. And then I gave all the fabric away to students. So, um, But all the commissions I tend to keep, and then they go on display. So I get paid to make the work, show it, and then... Keep. Oh, I see, but you keep the final product. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically having a museum-curated kind of supported career, which is a really amazing thing. So lucky. I skipped yeah. the art galleries, and it was a, a, a vision that I had. I was like, I wonder if I can skip the commercial art world. Yeah. And I don't know how I did it. Well, I'll explain how I did it. But How do you know when it's finished? Like, you know when it becomes one of the army? And how many members of the army are there now? And there's 64 at the minute. But um, sometimes they, I can't not add something if it goes, you know... Um, but I keep, it's, it's bad that I keep consuming, but um, I don't know. It's, I, it you are has a purpose at the end of the day, and some of these things that would just be thrown into yeah. the bin. So, yeah. And I, I think it's so much recycling that goes into it as mm. well, and making something that's been forgotten beautiful again yeah. and loved. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody Sorry, we just trash can't stop talking. Your treasure. Becomes our treasure. Another trash. question. Hi, um, thank you so much. That was so inspiring. So my question is, I work in like gallery education a lot with children and young people and always trying to show like new, well, contemporary artists instead of what they get taught. And I was just wondering if you have worked with young people and children and, and what, because I always think they just get it. Um, and so, like, what children's reaction has been when when they meet you and see your work? Yeah, I think they get it more actually. Um, so I did. I have worked with um, education from all levels, like you know, university downwards. And I did. Um, I've been invited to go back to my old schools, which was really traumatizing. Thinking about it, like I was like, I don't want to do it, but I actually I'm going to. And I think you know, kids that. Um, go through education being so like abused by the pupils not just the people like you know there's other situations but other pupils like that's no one ever really taught they sort of call it bullying but there's more to it and bullying is just like a word that you just kind of throw away um but i i actually did a, an art lesson the other day and all the all these kids went to the andy warhol exhibition at the fashion and textiles museum and then they were creating christmas decorations and because i'd done my christmas tree they asked me to um kind of teach them how to make christmas decorations so they they came back with all these um ipads with pictures of Andy Warhol on, and I'm like, he would have loved this. <laughs> like, it's like the world's changing. And then, um, and there was this one student there, and his stuff was like, do you know Nathan Bowen? I think you, yeah, yeah, Nathan, yeah, Bowen, Nathan street artist. Yeah. yeah, we interviewed him on top. Yeah, I mean, this kid was drawing these things, and I'm like, that's extraordinary. But but they get it more, you know. I think, yeah. And uh, when I, when I've done shows, I've had groups, uh, Avanti trains brought. Um, thousands of young people through the museum when I had my show in Coventry and there was about 50,000 people all together wow. and um, m mostly they were young people so they were going off and so I had kids come up to me saying I'm a designer and I'm like yes you are and I said keep all your ideas write them down and you never know one day they might be you know, they, they might turn into something. But that's like your Star Trek moment. Yeah. It's like the agency you get from people yeah. encouraging you. Yeah. And uh, enthusiasm. God, you're yeah. such good news, Daniel. Oh. <laughs> really are. Any more questions? One up there, yep. Oh, yeah. I actually had a question about Coventry, I'm afraid. Uh, but the city of culture, I started working there about, uh, started working just south of Coventry about two years ago, so I managed to get sort of the tail end of it. I was just wondering how those kind of events changes perception to an entire city and, and the sort of residents within that city as well, whether or not there has been such a big change of, for instance, Coventry since the City of Culture moved there. We, we had the Turner Prize there as yeah. well. I, I was a jury on the Turner Prize, so that was at the Herbert Gallery where yeah. you had your exhibition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I personally um, have heard many stories since the show's been there, like not just my show, about so many different things. And when I moved away 21 years ago, there was nothing there for me, nothing. I was, there was like a goth bar, that was it. 
And, um, and now there's three universities there. It's the youngest um, town, like, I think, in a, you know, youngest people, like, because of all the universities. And um, there are things happening from that show. And I've, I've gone back and I, I heard that a nurse did a lecture on me the other day, which I thought was really lovely. Um, but she said that she'd gone to the show um, thinking what to wear. And then when she got there, everyone, there were all kinds of people there, you know, like rich, famous, fabulous, like people that were just dressed really wild and, and then people that had gone in their tracksuits. And she said that everyone else, she felt like, just like everyone else when they went there. And I think the city, um, just by stories I'm hearing, that people are dressing up a bit more and there's, um, there's been like a whole group of textiles people and artists getting together to create new works. And I, I think I, hopefully that's the legacy I've left there. But um, I think it was a really positive thing. Um, you know, you always hear bad things and good things about everything. But um, I, I hope that some good things and inspiration kind of came to people, especially younger people. You know, the, the, the world is a very drab place right now, and, and it's, they live on, on their phones. And if they can see things in real life, I think it's a good thing. Especially 3D, Daniel Lismore. I think the real message, like I said in the intro, is be yourself. Yeah. Mm. And I think you are empowering all of us. And you're not saying people need to be like you. No, they just need be to like be me. like yourselves. And that's what, that's what the joy of life should be, really, is being, being, having the freedom to express ourselves freely. Exactly. And I, I mean, you are you at the end of the day, whether you like it or not. And <laughs> that's the truth. And, and I, I discovered that. I, I said in my TED talk, I spent so much time trying to be like other people mm. and it didn't work. Like it literally didn't work for me. And it was it, the, all, all the mistakes that I ever made were when I was trying to be like someone else. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, can we get a round of applause for Daniel? Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.